And welcome in. It's the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chavin here with you Tuesday, February 23rd. The Magic winners of three in a row, now four of their last five. Good weekend here at the Amway Center. Good homestand so far. Tonight it'll be the Detroit Pistons for the final game of that homestand. Magic with wins over the Knicks, the Golden State Warriors, and then the Pistons once on Sunday. They'll try to make it two in a row against the Pistons and four straight here at home. Uh, it'll be Brooklyn on Thursday, February 25th, up in Brooklyn. And then three games into the All-Star break, three tough ones. The Utah Jazz in town Saturday, February 27th. Monday, March 1st against Luka Doncic and his Dallas Mavericks. And then Wednesday, March 3rd, Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks come to town. The Magic at 13-18 and 18 right now on the season. Look, they're just a couple games out of the four seed in the Eastern Conference right now. Everything jumbled up in the East, so everything's certainly still in front of this Magic team. Starting to get healthy. Michael Carter-Williams comes back. Uh, and they're four and one on the season now with MCW starting at the point guard spot. And Evan Fournier has really made all the difference. He's just been outstanding, uh, especially in the month of February. Evan's only played five games in the month of February now because of those back spasms. But listen to these numbers, 23 and a half points per game. He's shooting 42% from three. He's 51% from the field, uh, playing about 30 minutes a night. And he's grabbing you know, almost five assists and four rebounds a game. He's been otherworldly since coming back um, with those back spasms. And hopefully you can just keep it loose and fresh, headed into the All-Star break, get a couple days off uh, and rest up, come back refreshed for the second half of the season. My guest for the program today, Justin Termini. You hear him every day on NBA Today, Sirius XM, NBA, Sirius 207, XM 86. He and Eddie Johnson do a great job uh, from 4 to 7, Monday through Friday. Justin and I chatted uh, before the weekend, but we talked about the Magic's uh, season so far, the injury issues, obviously, the trade deadline uh, and what the trade market might look like if the Magic are going to be buyers or sellers. Obviously, you rattle off a few wins. And uh, in the Eastern Conference this year, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be too many sellers. There's really only one or two teams across the league who probably should consider themselves out of the playoff race at this point with the play-in games uh, and the play-in seeds. Uh, top 10 going to make it in the postseason from either conference, but Justin always brings the heat and he sure did this time. So uh, our interview with Justin Termini coming up here in just a second. Hi, Magic fans. The Florida Department of Transportation reminds you that fans don't let fans drive drunk. If you've been drinking, don't get behind the wheel. Instead, find a sober driver or catch a ride service. Remember, drive sober or get pulled over. Have a great day and drive safe. And my guest for the program this week, you hear him daily on NBA Today, Sirius XM uh, radio series 207 xm86 monday through friday four to seven eastern uh, of course with eddie johnson he's justin termini he's on twitter at termini radio t-e-r-m-i-n-e radio justin termini joins me this week justin how are you thanks for joining me i appreciate it absolutely thanks for having me on i'm looking forward to the conversation yeah for sure um i, I wanted to get your thoughts on the magic we'll talk about the the league at large, which, uh, which is what you do on a daily basis. Um, but the Magic, it's been, I, I don't know, I guess kind of a nondescript season. I, I realize, you know, when the Magic aren't, uh, I guess, at the top of the standings or, or lighten things up, we kind of get sort of swept under the rug, I think, as far as the NBA landscape goes. And injuries have been a big issue so far this year uh, with this team. J.I. goes down in the bubble. Uh, Markel goes down in early January. It was a 6-2 and two start to the season. It's been a rough go of it ever since, but some guys starting to come back. We're sitting at 11 and 18 now on the year. Um, I guess let's just start up with, with what you think of this Magic team right now, and then I also want to get your, your take kind of from 30,000 feet 
But what have you seen from the Magic so far this year, Justin? Yeah, so at the beginning of the season, you mentioned it's a 6-2 and two start, right? And what we do every week throughout the course of the season, because we're on radio, so we don't do like the full 30 teams when we, we do the power rankings, uh, which you'll see on like some websites. But we, we give you a rapid fire, like top five teams every Tuesday afternoon. Uh, and at the outset of the season, I think we were like two, three weeks into the year when they were 6-2. and two, uh, And we had them in our top five at that point. And one of the reasons that we like this team coming back this year, myself and my co-host, Eddie Johnson, we don't agree on much, but we agreed actually that, that the Magic were primed here to do some damage this year. One of the reasons that we liked them was because of the continuity, right? You had the short offseason. There were some changes. So other teams had got to get accustomed to, uh, to playing with each other, maybe a new head coach. Orlando didn't need to do that, right? Because this is a team really that that's been together the last couple of years. So we thought maybe that that continuity would benefit them. And it looked like it would at the beginning of the season with that six and two start. And listen, when you have all these injuries that they've had in the, we hear it everywhere outside of Portland, right? Where they've lost three starters. And that's why Damian Lillard at the top, Jake, of my MVP list right now, even over LeBron and Embiid and some of the other names we hear, he's lost three starters. He's still carrying the, the Blazers on his back somehow. But typically, you're not going to be able to do that when you have all these injuries. You look at Dallas, you look at Miami, you look at Boston. They've been dealing with injuries. Uh, I don't even think as bad as Orlando, and they've taken giant steps back. So you're dealing with the injuries right now to, to key players as well, right? At least Portland's kept their point guard, correct? Mm. I mean, you guys lose Markel Fultz at the beginning of the year, who was starting to turn a corner, and then all of a sudden you got to hand your keys to Cole Anthony. And Cole, you know, even though I think in the future he can maybe be good, uh, he didn't really have experience in college last year, right? Because it was a season that got cut short for him. And he doesn't then have the typical rookie year where you go through the uh, you go through the Vegas Summer League. You go through the training camp, which is extended. You get comfortable. He gets drafted. He's got to move down to Orlando. And now all of a sudden, you know, eight, nine games into the year, he's your starting point guard. And now he's down, so you're to Michael Carter-Williams. So I think just at the most important position in the league right now, you've lost a key player. On top of the fact that I think, and you could tell me better than this, you're building your organization right now around Markel Fultz uh, and uh, Jonathan Isaac. And, and both those guys are lost. So you can't even if you were we're losing. You can't develop those guys, which would have been nice. So, uh, you know, I love the continuity heading into the year, but what are you going to do with all the injuries? A lot of teams are dealing with it right now. I don't think anybody, team, any team's been hit harder than you guys down there in Orlando. Did you, the idea of the continuity heading into the year, um, you, you know, I think last year it made a whole bunch of sense. Um, after six seasons not making the playoffs, Steve Clifford gets here and, and two out of two, boom, boom, you're a playoff team. And I think that's a lot about Steve Clifford, but it's also about some of the veterans um, that we had in, you know, Nick Vucevic is an all-star caliber player. He's having just a hell of a year. Um, you look at Aaron Gordon, you look at Evan Fournier, you had some veterans and that was what the concept was uh, of bringing these guys back and, and trying to build. Yes. You're, you're building around your young players. Yeah. And Markel Fultz, but you've got these veterans who are consistent. You know what you're going to get night to night. But when in this league, Justin, and you can speak to this, and sometimes I think it's crazy and people go overboard with it, the idea of are you coming or are you going? Are you tearing it down or are you building it up right now? The idea of we're just going to keep it sort of status quo and, and try to improve internally, that doesn't happen that much. Do you think that's a concept that can work out? Can you take that big leap with, with similar personnel um, in one offseason or in a couple of years? Or do you think probably the, the vision for this organization moving forward needs to be something closer to a teardown or, um, a, a, you know, a retool or whatever you want to call it? Do 
do you expect big changes to come? Do you think big changes need to come? Yeah, and, and you're right on that because I, I think when they re-signed Vucevic, right, that, that was the point that told you, all right, they're comfortable with where they kind of were and bringing back the same team instead of like trying to either maybe deal them or letting them go via free agency or dealing them before you hit free agency. Uh, and, and that is the, the concern in the league, right? Because uh, I've talked to, to several GMs like sitting in this, in this position where I'm hosting the program. And on two occasions, it's, it's kind of stuck out to me. Uh, the first one, we talked with Danny Ferry a couple of years ago, and this made headlines uh, because he came on when he was the, the GM down in Atlanta. And he said, right now we're sitting in eighth. I don't even want the eighth seed. Right? I don't want the eighth seed because he wanted to be in the lottery because you, you want to blow the, you know, you want to, you want to get, you, if you're stuck in the middle, seventh, eighth, ninth, it's difficult to get out of there because you don't have a high enough pick to get a transcendent talent, right? But you're not good enough to compete and get out of the first round. And Danny Ainge said the same thing a couple of years ago. He got lucky because he was able to rebuild uh, while trying to win, but also utilizing the next picks who had stunk for several years and he had those picks unprotected. So you are right that you're kind of stuck in no man's land if you're Orlando right now, if you get the seventh, eighth, uh, ninth seed uh, in the Eastern Conference or in the Western Conference for that matter. Uh, and Vucevic has really, you know, put himself down as a, as a tentpole type of player, right? If he gets the right pieces around him, I think the, the guy everybody's been waiting for the leap from is Aaron Gordon. It just hasn't come, right? And, and at some point, maybe another team is willing to take the chance on him in a different environment. He takes the next step. Maybe it sends a message uh, to him that uh, all right, now I have to get a little bit more serious. I love Aaron Gordon. I, I worked with Aaron Gordon. He did a program back for us uh, uh, you know, several years ago when he was a rookie. Hmm. Uh, he's, a, he's a very... Uh, you know, bright guy and he's, uh, he's focused. Uh, but I always thought that there was going to be another step, right? Because I think the first couple of years, his numbers continued to go up. Uh, then he hit an apex and the numbers have come down here a little bit. Uh, so hopefully, you know, either you get something for him in a deal or, uh, you know, the, the numbers start to go up again. But I think that was the guy that you always looked at as the guy you thought could be the number one or the number two to Vucevic. Just hasn't happened quite yet. And again, you're losing out on the development of Markel Fultz. Who knows? Fultz could end up being a uh, guy that was worthy of the top two or three pick a couple of years ago but it seems like every time he takes two steps forward he takes three back mm. yeah yeah he had a, a great start to the season he's in a good place mentally obviously he's in a good place physically with that shoulder um and then it was it really was just it, it felt like a gut punch uh when he went down I mean it was early in a game against Cleveland early January the team was just I mean nobody expected us to, to come out to, to a six and two start. I mean, it looked like, okay, wait, the, uh, we might have something here. And when he goes down, you know, you, you detailed it. Cole slides in. Um, Cole was finally starting to settle into his own. Uh, and then he goes down with what we thought was a shoulder. It turns into a fractured rib. The injuries have just been, and, you, and, and yes, it's been everybody across the league, but they've been very detrimental to any sort of development you've seen so far this year. As far as Aaron goes, he's so interesting because, you know, he's 25 years old. Like, it's so weird to think about he's a seven-year veteran and he's 25 years old. And so there's still very clearly room for Aaron um, to take that next step that you were mentioning that you were expecting. He's very, very valuable on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but I, I think as far as scoring goes, he probably still has a ways to go to be that second banana to a Vucevic. I, I want to get into Vooch because he like one question I have for you is, do you see him as a guy? He's 30 years old now. He's gotten clearly he's gotten better every season. He was an all-star two years ago. Um, first off, do you, do you think he should be an all-star? Do you think he will be an all-star this year? 
Yeah, I, if you looked at the numbers and if they continue to win, I think it's an easy decision. He's, he's definitely an all-star. But I, I, the fact and I, it's very tough because I don't like the factor winning too much in the all-star games because it's but like – But they do, oh, don't they? <laughs> exactly. Well, and I voted for Bradley Beal on my, my media ballot. And in past years, I won, right? But here's the reason I voted for him. And I'd put Zach Levine in there as well because he's having an awesome year. It's because, like, guys could demand to be traded. Like, right, Bradley Beal could go, like, get me out of town. I want out of a small market. I want to go play with the Lakers or the Clippers or Golden State uh, or, or team up in Brooklyn. And guess what? He'd be winning. So I'm not going to punish a guy who's losing, who's trying to build something. So I've changed gears on that. But I don't think, you know, the, the majority of, of the media has. I certainly don't think the coaches have. I think that'll be held against Vucevic. And you look at some of the other guys that are having a little bit more success team-wise this year, like Julius Randle's putting up amazing numbers. Yep. Uh, so Bonus has, has put up great numbers. He's had an incredible 36-point triple-double the other day so those guys are doing it on teams that are having slightly more success uh and they'd be competing with Vucevic for that final spot uh you know look at a guy like Bam Adebayo for some reason the losing doesn't seem like it's being held against him isn't that crazy yeah I mean and it's funny because your teams are both in Florida and I don't know if there's much of a rivalry down there but it's got to be driving like Magic fans nuts that you know Miami gets to use the injuries as a little bit of an excuse here but it doesn't really happen for for Orlando and I think they're more banged up than the than the Heat are but it looks to me like, you know, the momentum has Bam out of Bayou in the All-Star game, even ahead of Julius Randle, who's putting up better numbers than him and actually winning. It seems like Bam's ticketed there, unfortunately, you know, Vucevic not. And I understand a little bit. I mean, I think Vucevic is the better offensive player, but Bam, I guess, plays both sides of the ball. He got the notoriety from going to the finals last year. He was spectacular in the bubble. But other than that, like, I don't necessarily think that Bam should be there over Vucevic this year. You mentioned Brad Beal. This is a, a tangent, but I want to bring it up to you because I'm sure you'll have a good opinion on it or an interesting one at that. Um, Beal, um, some of these other guys. Where, Justin, when did it happen? I was watching a couple weeks ago, and it was when he had the thing where he was pouting in the first half in that Brooklyn game, and then he came out and, you know, somebody, Russ, I don't know who it was, somebody said something to him at halftime and kind of woke him up, and he went and he actually tried in the second half of the game. And this is right on the heels of the Harden thing. And I'm watching ESPN or whoever, and they're saying, Bradley Beal deserves better from the Washington organization. And James Harden deserved better from Houston. And, you know, Deshaun Watson deserves better from the Houston Texans, whatever. And I'm sitting there going, when do we get to the point where every great player deserves to win, deserves a championship? Like, every time you play a game of basketball, Justin, somebody has to lose the damn game. (laughs) And somehow we're at the point now where every great player, if they're not winning, if they're not getting rings – their champion, their their organization has let them down, and I'm like, how, like, so, so, just everybody is going to win? Is that how, is that what we decided? What's your take on that? Like, when did we get to that point? And why is it always the the organization's fault? And you know, that's part of the problem with the media. And I don't push that. Like, for example, I told you, Damian Lillard. If the season ended right now, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm voting for Damian Lillard for the MVP. And part of it is because you don't think Damian Lillard would win a championship if he went down to LA like Anthony Davis and said, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I want to team up. And he pouted and he, he forced his way out there on Portland. Like, you don't think Giannis Antetokounmpo last year would have won a championship with LeBron James if he did the same thing that Anthony Davis is? Like, I'm looking at the 
these power rankings at the beginning of the year. And again, it's just fodder for talk shows. But like ESPN's got LeBron number one. Anthony Davis is the second best player in the league. How could Anthony Davis be the second best player in the league when he couldn't get a team into the postseason? He couldn't even get him into the postseason down in, uh, down in New Orleans. And he's playing side by side next to some pretty good players. He's playing next to Julius Randle, who's broke out this year. You can see how good he is. He's playing side by side with Drew Holiday. But all of a sudden, because he won a championship next to LeBron, he's the second best player in the league. A lot of guys would be, you know, win a championship, capable of being the second best player if they were playing next to LeBron James. Anthony Davis really didn't do much when he had to be the lead dog. He's more of a follower. Uh, so, yeah, it drives me nuts that, uh, you know, that and the media does it. I mean, oh, well, you know, Anthony Kumpo's got to leave. You know, the Bucs have put nothing on. Well, when does it become like Giannis Anthony Kumpo's got to learn to, and I love Anthony Kumpo. I voted for him MVP last two years. But why do we not say, like, all right, when's Anthony Kumpo going to learn to shoot a free throw? When's he going to learn to hit an open 15-footer, uh, you know, or, or, you know, at least know that he shouldn't be shooting threes uh, and take that out of his arsenal? Like, some of it rests on the player to improve. It's just not all on the uh, on the organization. So no, you're it's, absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a strange place, this, this landscape, certainly. Um, all right, uh, I want to go back to Vooch. Can you, for Vucevic, can you see – he kind of reminds me of, like, Paul and Marcus Gasol in that his – his game is not dependent on – you look at Blake Griffin, like that's not Blake Griffin anymore. That's not the Blake Griffin that we know and love. That's not Lob City Blake. Um, he's dragging that leg around. And and Blake's still relatively young. I mean, it, it his athleticism got zapped, and it's unfortunate, and those injuries happen. But I look at a guy like Vooch, and I say, boy, he's probably going to age gracefully, um, you know, barring any major injuries because he's not reliant um, on flying through the air and dunking on people's heads. It feels like his game can probably age gracefully. You might get another five, six years, not just of high-level play, but of improvement from Nikola Vucevic. Can you see that? Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. And you're, you're right. I mean, Blake's the perfect example, whereas his athleticism sap. You're looking at Russell Westbrook go through it right now. Yep. now you, you may be making the Blake thing because he's a bigger guy and, uh, and, and Westbrook's a smaller guy, so it doesn't make as much sense to, to, to compare him to Vucevic. But his game's fallen off the, the, uh, the face of the earth, and it's done so rather quickly. Vucevic doesn't rely on his athleticism, so maybe a guy like Mark Gasol. Now, Gasol really, I think, the last year or two uh, has really taken a major yeah. step back. But that's the other thing that drives me nuts. It's like what, what is he's he's 30 29 30 yeah so he's 30 you you can't build your organization if you really like him you can't build your organization around him like you got a really good player he's a he's a you know a borderline all-star if maybe he had some better supporting pieces or if you know Markel Fultz was healthy this year if Aaron Gordon was healthy uh the entire year if uh, Fournier is healthy the entire year all right well then they're good enough to actually put him in the all-star game, right? If they're a top eight seed, I don't think there's any question. Vucevic with the numbers he's putting up is, is going to the all-star game. So why can't you build around him? Like 30 is ancient. 30 is not ancient. The same thing's going on in New York with Julius Randle, who's even younger than Vucevic. He's 26. And I hear people going like, yeah, it's great that he's putting up these huge numbers, but you know, is it stunting the development of, of RJ Barrett? And oh, that's so ridiculous. That's so Robinson. stupid. It's like, so it's like he's 26. He's not 35. Right. And, and you know, and, and, and I'm sorry, five, there's five players on the floor at a time, like playing next to a good player who's taking a lot of shots. That's not the only way to develop a player. Like I'm pretty sure RJ Barrett's not going to forget how to shoot 
because well, Julius is taking 20 shots a game. Like, that, that doesn't make yeah, any sense and, to me. You know, it, it's absolutely right. And we, like, we had Earl Watson on the show yesterday, and he was talking about the development of Devin Booker compared to the development of Kobe Bryant to Jason Tatum, right? The three of those guys. We, you know, games, you know, kind of similar, and they both grew up idolizing Kobe. And Earl said that the perfect situation for Kobe was going to L.A. because he wasn't allowed out of the gates right away to just do whatever he wanted. He had mm. to fit into a system and learn from veterans, right? Uh, and again, I'm not comparing. Vucevic to uh, to Shaquille O'Neal, but same thing with Jason Tatum. Like Tatum goes to uh, goes to Boston, and you know he can learn from some of the better. Now all the the guys maybe in there, the influence in the locker room not great, and Kyrie Irving, despite the fact he's a veteran, got some experience. But like an Al Horford, right? Already he's learning how to be a professional. You didn't see that from Philadelphia uh, when when they were rebuilding and losing games on purpose, one of the reasons Julia Okafor's, you know, career maybe went in the wrong direction, right? Devin Booker didn't really have anybody there to, to be that guiding hand as far as a veteran to show him the way uh, until he gets Chris Paul this year. And at the very least, Vooch, at the very least, he's a guy there that's a veteran. He's been around the block. So when you get younger guys like a, like a Markel Fultz, like a Cole Anthony, uh, you know, like a, a Mo Bamba, uh, Jonathan Isaac, they can lean on him to, you know, ask questions and learn how to be a professional. So I like just having a guy like there, even if his game does dissipate a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's, and I think it's both ways. I think there's, there's the locker room, the sort of intangible stuff about being a pro. And you saw that certainly with Hinky Sixers. Um, and then there's the stuff on the floor too. Like Devin Booker, I don't think needed veterans to show him the way Devin Booker seems to me to be very level headed, but on the floor, it helps to have good players next to you so that you don't have to make every shot in crunch time. You don't feel like, you know, get to that point where you're, you feel like you're drowning um, because it's you or nothing else. Um, when you get to those moments, I mean, young players and Kobe is a perfect example. Young players need to be surrounded by good players on the floor. So their game grows naturally. And it's not just boom, we need you to be a superstar at 20 years old because there just aren't players that are capable of doing that uh, short of LeBron James, basically. And um, I think we have these heightened expectations for some of these young, good players. Like to say Devin Booker was a disappointment or not a great player early on in his career because he wasn't dragging the Phoenix roster to the playoffs is ridiculous to me. And you see what happens when you alleviate some of that pressure, bring in some veterans, especially a guy like Chris Paul, the things able to take off. So with that in mind, as we talk about the future of the Magic, um, I, I, I'm not sure what the next few weeks are going to look like, but the rumors are already starting to crop up. Um, if you looked around and if you thought the Magic were going to be active in the trade market, who are, who are some guys you think might be on their way out and who are some teams you think might be interested? Where, can you see some fits uh, if the Magic decide to make some moves over the next couple of weeks here, the next month. Yeah, maybe. and you could probably help me out with this even more so in that, like you're hearing the Mo Bamba stuff, I guess, the other day to the Los Angeles Lakers, right? And uh, I mean, have they given up on Mo Bamba all, already at this point, right? And then you got like Aaron Gordon. And the Gordon ones, maybe I take a little bit more seriously because like you said, I think Gordon can be a spectacular player. The question is like, has he hit his ceiling there uh, in, you know, in Orlando? And they were, do they want young players? Do they want, uh, uh, you know, guys that can maybe help them make a playoff pushed by next year so like the point guard position obviously they're deficit I mean you're not going to win what do you since the since the start of the season you started out six and two uh so what are you like five and uh, 16 since that point yep uh, yeah so five and 16 since that point I mean, can you win games with Michael Carter Williams as your as your point guard moving forward depending on how and it looks like Cole Anthony uh, and Markel Fultz are going to be out a significant amount of time I mean do you need to go out and get a point guard I mean what do you what do you think they're going to end up doing 
I think it's uh, I think it's gonna be interesting. Uh, Cole will probably be back after the All Star break. Um, you bring in Chase and Randall, and he's played one game, and we, you know Chase and Randall's a unknown quantity. But what he, he did stay at the very least uh, on Wednesday night, he did stabilize that spot. And so you see with MCW. Um, but I don't know. It's it, it's really strange, Justin, because like you, you know it's really difficult to evaluate what exactly you have right now because it came out of the gate so so nice. But then, you know, you're right when you say the future of the franchise is Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz. So you were going into this year already knowing you weren't going to have Isaac. And then you start out good anyways, and you're going, okay, let's see what this looks like. And then, you know, the idea of let's make another run at it and see if you can just sort of add J.I. back next year as like icing on the cake. Um, I think that was probably the mentality a couple weeks in. And then when those injuries hit, um, and it's it, – look, the Markel injury was terrible, but it's not just been him. MCW uh, has been in and out of the lineup. Evan Fournier has been in and out of the lineup with back spasms. Um, James Ennis is out right now. I mean, even, you know, some of the role guys and guys you weren't expecting to have a big uh, – as big a role. I mean, Dwayne Bacon has been a starter almost the entire season, and Dwayne Bacon was a depth signing, and he's been great. He's averaging about 11 points. Uh, he's doing exactly what you ask out of Dwayne Bacon. But, you know, when you sign Dwayne Bacon in the offseason, you're not expecting him uh, to come in and start virtually every game of the year. So there's just been a whole bunch of kind of like, okay, here's plan A. Okay, no, we're going to go to plan B. All right, by the time we're starting the game tonight, we're on plan E. And that's just been kind of like the, the, the course of the year. Um, with that said, I think you look around and I think if, if the future of the franchise is Markel and, and J.I., then there may be some moves to try to like fit that timeline. But again, I, it's not going to be trade every veteran and, and bring in a whole bunch of kids and uh, recreate, you know, hinky Sixers. Um, that's certainly not what Jeff Weltman and John Hammond want to do. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I, I expect to see something. I'm just not sure exactly how drastic it'll be. Yeah. And uh, a couple of things. One is like, I'm excited about the future of Jonathan Isaac because mm-hmm. Like, they're throwing this money at him, knowing that he's hurt and knowing that he's got this injury history. Like, so they must see something in him that, that we can't see just because we don't see enough of him, right? They see him in practice. They've got a better feel. So I'm excited to see what, what he's going to be. And you're right. If, that, if those are the two guys that you're moving with in the future, uh, then you, you get pieces that can fit, fit in around him. I agree with that, but still keep some veterans there. Now, with, with dealing guys, I think this is where maybe the Magic could benefit this year, right? Because – with all these injuries, maybe now you're starting to realize, all right, we're not going to be in the postseason, even though there's 10 teams that are going to qualify from each conference because of the play-in. Uh, so it's going to be a market where I think there's going to be so few guys out there as a result of, like, you look at, for example, in the Western Conference, all right? I, I think the Rockets are 11-17. and 17. Uh, They're uh, a game behind uh, Dallas or two games behind Dallas from getting that 10th spot. Yep. So they're going to, all right, well, we can get Christian Wood back. We're still in this thing. So why would they, you know, why would they maybe sell a, a PJ talker, right? Uh, and, and put him out there on the, on the, on the market or a Victor Oladipo. There were rumors that maybe they would move him again. Maybe they keep them because they want to make a run at the postseason. So you're really out of 15 teams in the Western conference have, you know, Oklahoma city, maybe selling people uh, and, and Minnesota definitely probably selling people because they're the worst team in the NBA. They're the only team that, it's really been eliminated in the Eastern Conference. I mean, Washington six and five in their last 11 games. So now they're thinking we can make a run at the postseason. So really you have what the Cavaliers that are going to sell, you know, put Drummond out there. You've got uh, uh, the Pistons that are going to do something with Blake. Maybe the Magic are one of those sellers and there's few teams maybe that will be selling. You get a little extra, a uh, little extra out there because it becomes at a premium. That's the way I viewed it. 
it's crazy. Um, I, do you think that's how it's going to play out? Just there, there's going to be so many more buyers than sellers because of the, of the 10 team play-in? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know just because we've never gone through it before, right? I no. mean, this, this is kind of a first. And, and plus, you don't know how teams are handling the finances, right? Like, uh, you yep. know, are they, are they going to go out there and, you know, Golden State, for example, is a perfect example. Like, they basically spend 80-something million dollars on, on, on Kelly Oubre, right? And we know he's not an $80 million player, but because of the luxury tax, that's what it cost them. All right, their ownership is committed. Uh, then you look at uh, Boston, who dealt Ennis Cantor, right? They, and, and it ended up being Desmond Bain as well because they got rid of the draft pick. They essentially did th- that just for money. And now you look at them devoid of talent inside. They could really use Ennis Cantor. And Cantor's been fantastic since Nurkic went down uh, and Zach Collins went down out, out west for Portland. He's averaging like 12 and 12 in 16 games since becoming a starter. Like, so are they going to use that trade exemption and be willing to add a guy like, say, I don't know, DeMar DeRozan or something, if he became available and San Antonio decided, all right, we want to build around our young guys. Like, are they going to spend the money? So I don't even know what teams are going to be willing to spend the money, which teams aren't. Uh, So you throw that wrinkle in there as a result of the virus, not having fans, you know, people looking to make money or maybe some ownership groups, you know, looking in any avenue to make money. But I, I would think that there's going to be less sellers this year just because there's more teams that are competing to go for the postseason what's your read on that it's similar i think probably you know it's interesting because you look at teams like uh chicago for instance right chicago right now is in at 12 and 15 they would be the nine seed they'd be in the play in and i'm going you know i I don't think chicago is going to say and you got new uh new members of the front office a new head coach Levine is playing out of his mind. They've got young players like Markin, and people are talking about them trading Markin, and I'm like, why? Why in the heck would they do that? Uh, I don't think Chicago is going to say, "Boy, all we need is L. Horford to put us over the top," or whatever. Um, yeah. if, if Chicago mortgaging the future to try to make the playoffs this year or try to make a little bit of a run this year doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. But go back to Boston. Like, I realize Danny hasn't been able to pull the trigger, but Boston is sitting there at 14 and 14. Look, I'm not, it feels like it's going to be Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Miami as the class of the, uh, Milwaukee, excuse me, as the class of the conference this year. Um, with that, and I know Milwaukee's really struggling right now. I think they're going to figure it out. But Boston should not be able, they shouldn't say, okay, this is just not our year. Like, Boston is in a window right now where they need to make a move and probably, and they probably don't even need to make a drastic move. They just need a little help. I think like if you look at Boston, doesn't Boston feel like they're one player away from rattling off 10 straight wins and catapulting themselves to the top of the conference? Yeah, I mean, they started off, well, what, eight? Just like uh, you guys down in Orlando, they started off, I think, eight and three. They were atop the standings. They've yep. been brutal, and that's coincided with Kemba Walker coming back, who hasn't been good. I mean, it, and if Kemba's not going to be back to at least to like half of what he was, you can forget it for Boston. But I think that's the thing with any team in the Eastern Conference, too. Like even Toronto is that – you say that the class is, is Philadelphia and Brooklyn, okay? Well, that's not a very good class, right? <laughs> you know, compared to past years. Like Philadelphia right now is 19 and 10. I think they're, they got a winning percentage of 655, right? So I think if they win the conference on that same 655 winning percentage right now that they're on pace to have, that'd be the worst one since the Pistons in 2003 to win the Eastern Conference. Really? Wow. And, you know, yeah, and the Eastern Conference is – and, you know, that may have been altered, I think, in the last day or two, depending on, you know, Philadelphia winning their last game when they were 18-10 and 10 before their last win. That was definitely the case. But the point is, it's like they're leading the conference, but they're not playing – they're not like some superb team. And the Eastern Conference has been messy for 20 years, so that tells you this might be the worst since 2003 in a conference that hasn't been good. 
Every team has holes right now, like Philadelphia, right? They can't win on the road. They're seven and eight. I think there's like 10 teams in the Western Conference that at least are 500 on the road. Philadelphia is not even 500 on the road. There are two relying on Joel Embiid. And do we have confidence in Embiid that he's going to be in shape and healthy in the postseason? All right, so that's their little issue there. That's their whole Brooklyn. They've been great. But a couple of things, you know, despite everybody going nuts about what they've done, they've been impressive so far. One, they can't defend. No. Now, they did it a couple of nights ago, and, and that was fantastic against Phoenix in the second half, but they can't defend. And they've only played seven games together with Harding, Kyrie, and KD. That's not enough. You've got to have some continuity. It kind of reminds me of the Clippers last year. So they have holes. Milwaukee clearly has holes because they can't score in the clutch as good as they are for the other three quarters. Uh, Boston's as thin as any team out there. So there's like no team that's a surefire, oh, we can't beat them. They're a juggernaut. I think it's wide open at the top of the East if a team were to make a move. Toronto's a great example. I keep waiting for them, you know, maybe one move. It felt like early in the season, look, they're, they're playing an entire road s- schedule um, this year. And so I think you have to allow for that to be, um, something that they need to overcome. And then I do think that they miss Gasol and they miss Ibaka. Um, but, but like, you know, we, we know damn well. Fred Van Vliet put 54 on us about two weeks ago down here in Orlando. So I am very confident Toronto is going to be able to figure it out and is going to be able to get more out of Siakam. Um, and they've got such a good, you know, sort of um, mix of players that I think complement each other well and they develop so well. I think Toronto will – uh, absolutely make a make a jump to the top of the conference. It's a good point about nobody necessarily. Like I, I well, think even Indiana. Like think about Indiana, right? So they they're they're fifteen and fourteen right now. They're one game behind the Bucks. They're three games behind Brooklyn for second place. They're four games behind Philadelphia. They've been ravaged by injuries, yeah. right? Because. You, you haven't had uh, T.J. Warren the entire season, who was amazing in the bubble. So you're going to bring him back at some point. Uh, you haven't really had, uh, you know, the combination of Karis Levert or Oladipo here because, you know, Oladipo got dealt early in the season for Levert. Levert's been out since that point. Uh, Miles Turner missed a couple of the games earlier on this year. Like, is, is there a more well-rounded starting five in the NBA uh, than, uh, you know, than Malcolm Brogdon, Karis Levert, T.J. Warren, Sabonis and Miles Turner once mm. everybody's healthy. It's one of the more well-rounded starting fives. You know, they made, you know, they added a guy off the bench that could, you know, be a six-man-of-the-year type of guy. Boom. That, that's a team that could shock some people. That's a good call. It seems like every year they're sitting there in the four seed and nobody talks about them. It's just the nature of the Indiana Pacers, I guess. Um, all right, Justin, this has been really fun. Before I let you go, in the Western Conference, everybody just sort of anointed both L.A. teams, and probably rightfully so. Uh, Utah, Portland, Phoenix. I think probably Utah and Portland is where I make the cutoff for my list of teams. Um, Portland's got to get healthy, but I, can anybody knock off the, one of the L.A. teams? Or are you expecting one of those two to come out of the West? But again, they're not like a – neither one of these teams is a historic team. Right? Yeah. And I'm not betting on the Clippers after what they did last year. they got to get something out of Lou Williams, who went through a nice streak recently where he's put up some big numbers. But other than that, it looked like he was almost on the brink of retirement, right? And the issue with L.A. is they're so reliant on Anthony Davis, much like Embi Miller is healthy last year. But if he gets hurt, uh, then, you know, all bets are off for them as well. Now, I still think those are the two favorites, and it's going to take an injury to LeBron or Anthony Davis in order for them not to win. I mean, they're two of the top five players in the sport. So they should win. Uh, but uh, the two things. One, I had Portland at the three seed prior to the season, but that was before 
all these injuries. Yeah. I and mean, the fact they're playing like this with these guys hurt, now they still got to get better defensively, and I don't think they can with what they have on their roster. Uh, but if they're hanging around here and then get CJ back right after the break, Nurkic maybe not back long after that, I mean, they could maybe catch up to the, the, to the Lakers if Anthony Davis is going to miss a significant amount of time. Should they, should they move some of those young players? They got some, they got some pretty appealing young talent on that roster. I, for example, right? Like he's going to have a hard time getting playing time behind CJ McCollum and, uh, and Damian Lillard with the night. Like, so he's a guy that can maybe fetch you something with somebody, hey, 22 year old kid. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was putting up big numbers right when he came onto the scene. Like, we'll take a chance on him. We'll give you a guy that can help right now. Certainly, that's something I could see Portland doing because they, you know, Damian Lillard's been so loyal to that. Hey, we got to make a move at some point that's for the jugular, right? And go for it. And then Utah is just a perfect basketball team. The only thing Utah is missing, and they're probably my the, the most fun team to watch in the NBA right now because they play the game the right way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a ton of threes, but that's the way that you play. Now. That's the way you play the sport right now. But with, with Utah, it's like, all right, they've got uh, they got a guy who can score individually in, in Donovan Mitchell. They're the best three-point shooting team in the league. Got shooters all over the floor. They got a veteran savvy point guard in Mike Conley who wasn't with the program last year. He really had a down year, but now that he's back, you're confident in him. They got a great head coach. They've got a depth. They probably have the sixth man of the year by far right now in Jordan Clarkson. Uh, they've got the best defensive player in in Rudy Gobert. Uh, so really, they just have everything. The one thing they're missing is that one guy to go do down the stretch that you just know is going to get it done, right? Like the Lakers have Anthony Davis, they have LeBron James. You got Kawhi in Los Angeles. You got Lillard with the Blazers. You've got uh, even Devin Booker I hold in higher regard than I do Donovan Mitchell. Uh, you go to the Eastern Conference, you got three of them on, on Brooklyn, right? So I think the only thing that team is missing, and Mitchell maybe could be that, but is that one guy you know one-on-one -on -one when nobody else shot is falling, he can get the job done. So I, that's the way the Western Conference plays out. I would say either of the L.A. teams, but I wouldn't be shocked if Utah was able to sneak in. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun season. It's been fun already. It's been um, sort of up and down, a lot of injuries. Uh, it's been the, the, the schedule has been very rugged, but the All-Star break coming up, trade deadline coming up, uh, fun time of the year to be a NBA fan, fun time of the year to tune in, uh, certainly to Justin Termini and Eddie Johnson. Uh, NBA Today, Sirius XM, NBA Series 207, XM 86, Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 Eastern time. Justin, thanks so much, man. This has been fun. We'll be listening, and we'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, absolutely. This was fun. So sometimes, yeah, you're not comfortable. The first time we've really done something like this, an extended period of time, it was comfortable. It was easy. It flew by. So thanks for having me. Appreciate that. There he is, Justin Termini. Jake Chapman here with you. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman OM. Follow him as well. It's at Termini Radio. Back next week with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Until then, stay safe, everybody.